Thanks for checking out Journey Church. This week we have a message by Pastor Kevin Taylor. It is the miracle of all miracles. I just want to make sure that we understand why we're here today. In fact, every time that I drive past a cemetery, I'm just reminded, uh, and I see a freshly dug grave, I'm reminded that one got away. You know, one got away, friends, because Jesus is risen. He escaped the grave and he rose from the dead. That is an amazing truth, and the Bible says that our faith is pointless if that isn't true. If Jesus is not risen from the dead, this is all a big waste of time. We might as well go home and just bite the heads off our chocolate bunnies if Jesus is not risen. Here's what the New Testament says, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, if Christ be not raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are found to be misrepresenting God because we testify that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, (coughs) Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile. That is saying that if Jesus is not risen, we might just as well shut all the lights off in here and shut the doors and lock the doors and all of us just go home and never come back. Because then the Bible says, and this is Paul, the apostle, speaking. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. He says, this is what matters most right here. It isn't that you would love your neighbor as yourself. That's important, but it is not the matter of first importance. How you treat your husband or how you treat your wife or how you treat your children is super important, but it is not the matter of first importance this is. He says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and to the 12 and to more than 500 at one time, most of whom are still alive. According to the Apostle Paul, the author of those words, that was the matter of first importance. He wrote those words just a few years after Jesus. That means that there was a big community of first century people who knew and saw Jesus buried. And then they knew and saw Jesus after his resurrection. That is some amazing historical evidence. 75% of modern day scholars believe that Jesus lived, died, and was buried. The question is what happened after that? Did he really rise from the dead or was his body taken? Was it stolen or did something else happen? There's a resurrection expert. His name is Wolhart Pannenberg. And he says this, the evidence for Jesus's resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it's a very unusual event. And second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. It is that monumental of a thing. And so people not really wanting to change the way they live and surrender their lives to Jesus will come up with all kinds of stories about the resurrection. One of the stories that has come up about the resurrection didn't come up until about the 1700s, so it's really not that old. And it says that Jesus never really died when he was on the cross. He just went unconscious. And after that, he was laid in the tomb. And then at some point, he regained consciousness and moved the stone away and he walked out. So Jesus incurred a horrendous beating. He was tortured on a cross. He had nails driven in his hands and his feet. He was hoisted in the air to hang there for hours. He had a spear thrust in his side. He passed out. 
He was imagined for dead. He was taken off the cross. He was wrapped in about 50 pounds of, of material only to wake up, crawl out of the grave, close, roll a huge stone away, and walk out alive. Sometimes it's just easier to believe the truth than a story. So here's what John, the gospel says. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and went to Peter and the other disciple, which is John, and she said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. Mary shows up at the tomb and she sees the stone has been rolled away and the tomb is empty, but she doesn't say that Jesus is alive. She says, or that he's risen, she just has no clue where they put him. Even Mary thought someone had taken him. It goes on to say, so Peter went with the other disciple, John, and they were going toward the tomb and stooping to look in. They saw the linen cloths lying there, but the disciple, John, did not go in, but Peter came following and he went into the tomb. We know that Jesus was buried in a, in a cave-type tomb because it says here that Peter stooping to look in. So that's, that's where Jesus was buried. And we took some folks from Journey to Israel uh, just a few months ago. And it, in that trip, we saw a location such as this. This is the location we saw, uh, which is a presumed uh, burial place for Jesus. Or it is one that is very much like what Jesus would have been buried in. It is a cave tomb. And just, just as a commercial, um, we're going to back to Israel in, in October of 2020. If you've ever wanted to go, this is your chance. We'd love to have you come with us. Uh, you can check out our website. It has some information there, but that's a trip that you will never forget. It will change your life. You'll come back never the same, that's for sure. Here's what John chapter 20, verse 7 says. <clears throat> the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, was not lying with the linen cloths, which would be around his body, but they were folded in place by itself. How does that help us understand what's happening here? If someone had stolen the body of Jesus like Mary first presumed, do you think that they would go in and unwrap the body, which would have been a stinky mess, by the way, and then taken the time to arrange and fold the burial clothes? I mean, when you steal, usually you're in a rush, aren't you? You don't really have time to fold laundry. That's what was happening here, they said. But Jesus comes alive. The scriptures tell us he comes right through the linens. He just comes up out of them, and they just kind of lay down nicely in place. And then it says, then the other disciple, John, also went in, and he saw, and he believed. Most of the early believers came to faith in Jesus because they saw him alive later. But here it says that John, he comes to faith before he actually sees the resurrected Jesus. He just sees the grave clothes lying there. John didn't have to see the living body of Jesus in order to believe that he was resurrected. Do you? Are you willing to believe the evidence that's there? Some of you might think, you know, if, if I could just see it, if I could just like see the resurrected Jesus, then I would, I would believe in him. But the Bible tells us that isn't so. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, there is a story about a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. And the story goes that Lazarus would show up at the door of the rich man every day and beg for food, just wanting something to eat. And the rich man would refuse to feed him. And eventually both the rich man and Lazarus die. And the Bible says that the rich man went to hell and Lazarus went to paradise. And 
The Bible says that between the two of them, there was this great chasm that no man could cross. The rich man in hell began to beg for water so that his tongue could be cooled. And he said that he had five brothers. He didn't want them to end up in the place that he was at. So he said, could somebody please be sent from the dead in order to warn my brothers so they might believe? And what was he told? Luke 16 says, all your brothers need is the prophets and the law, and they already have them. If they don't believe the law and the prophets, they won't believe even if they see someone come back from the dead and tell them. You don't need to see Jesus in order to believe in Jesus. It wouldn't make a difference if you did. You just need faith and trust in the person of Jesus. The skeptics of early Christianity, they could have ended this whole movement that we're part of 2,000 years later very, very easily. They could have ended it before it even began. All they had to do was produce a body. That's how you kill a resurrection story. You just produce a body. But nobody was found. Nobody has ever been found because Jesus is risen. That's the whole reason that the story and the account of Jesus made it to us in the year 2019. 2,000 years later, the reason that it got out of the first century was that the early disciples really believed that word. They believed that Jesus was risen from the dead. And somebody back in the first century told somebody, and that person told somebody, and they 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 told somebody until somebody told you. And now it's our role to tell somebody about Jesus so this wonderful story will keep going because Jesus is risen. And here's the thing. The movement of Christianity spread through the world faster than anybody could have expected by a group of blue-collar workers with no resources and very little education because of their claim that Jesus had risen from the dead. The disciples' testimony about Jesus led them to poverty, not to wealth. The testimony of the disciples led them to greater persecution, not to security. Do we think that they went through all of that for a lie? Jesus is risen. And the question that the gospel writers pose to all of us is, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with Jesus? Not long ago, we asked four artists to illustrate what their thoughts were about some emotions that were around the crucifixion, focused around the crucifixion, and what some, some of the emotions that were gathered around the resurrection. And what would they paint uh, when they thought of those words? And this was the result. It's from the point of view of the soldiers, and it was the soldiers who were supposed to be guarding the tomb um, while Jesus was in there, and it's a soldier that found out that, A, no longer Jesus is not in there anymore, so it's that 
sensation of like everything collapsing in on you at once and what's going to happen, that just, that fear that washes over you. The Roman helmets represent the soldiers and then the people kind of represent the people during that day and time. It's just like the Renaissance type of, of look and, and basically it's just representing this fear and everything's collapsing and it's kind of like the town, the people and just like everything's collapsing in on you. I thought it was really good to represent the Tao as a circle shape. And from those circle shapes, there were gonna be some streaks extending, like coming out from the, the round shape. And those will be 12 streaks, which will represent the disciples. So I picked the colors that I usually feel that I am always doubting to use, like not the most comfortable colors for me to paint with. So I thought it would be good to put the emotion about doubt for myself in the painting. And the colors I used for the disciples, I consider like purple and gold represent dynasty. So that's why I picked those colors. I came into the space not really knowing what I was gonna be painting. And I took a moment to take a look at the canvas and to really just sit um, and think about the word and what it means to me. The idea was to look at it from the woman's perspective of the resurrection when they came upon the, the open grave. And I decided to kind of keep that idea of um, the woman's voice and what she was experiencing. Um, I came up with the idea of having a lot of veils and um, or curtains that kind of hide um, possibly something that we're all looking for. And I have figures within the, the painting that are actually kind of pulling back the, the veils and pulling back those drapes and trying to find something. Um, and yet, in the middle of this picture is a really small child who seems perfectly content facing away from the other searching figures um, who has found her joy. A storm is what I think of when I think of anger. It's just crazy and wild and can't be controlled. And I think um, the feeling and the emotion of anger is just overwhelming like a storm wave. Well, the red tones, red is just like the color of anger, and so I made the sky red because of that. And then the wave um, is just a contrast of that, but it still has the same emotion through the strokes of like intense feeling and just um, being crazy and untamed. The question I would pose to you today is if it was you who came to the tomb that morning, what would you have done with Jesus? And I just wanted to show you some of those emotions that those artists painted through these four different people. And the first one is the women and is represented in the second panel. The Bible says that the women respond to the resurrection with awe and great joy. And that's some of you in this room today because you are in awe of what Christ has done for you. And you, he's turned your sorrow into joy. So you, you've experienced that firsthand. And, and, and 
they realized that Jesus had come to rescue them from all kinds of things. First of all, he came to rescue them from guilt, and he comes to rescue you from guilt. Anybody in the room done anything to feel guilty for? The beauty of the resurrection is that Christ said that there's no condemnation in him. There's grace. And so because of the resurrection of Jesus, guilt doesn't get to have the final word. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, injustice doesn't have the final word. Sure, bad things happen to good people. And we see things in our country and in our world that just don't make sense. But Jesus said because of the resurrection of Jesus, he is going to one day make every wrong right. And we can be sure that because of his resurrection, that injustice is not going to have the final word. Addiction does not have the final word because of the resurrection of Jesus. Whatever it is that has got you in locked down, <clears throat> whatever it is that you struggle with, whatever it is that is a chain around your neck and around your ankles, Jesus came that we might have freedom. So whatever has wrecked your body, whatever has destroyed your relationship, whatever has taken down your life because of the resurrection of Jesus, addiction does not have the final word. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, pain doesn't have the final word. We live in this world. We live in a world that's full of hurt, it's full of wounds, it's full of scars, but because of the resurrection of Jesus, he said that there's coming a day when he's gonna get rid of all that. There's coming a day when there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, there will be no more sorrow, and because of the resurrection of Jesus, pain does not have the final word. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, despair doesn't have to have the final word. Wherever life seems bleakest for you, whatever mountain seems tallest and most formidable for you, Jesus comes to bring hope. He comes to bring life into a situation that just seems insurmountable and impossible. He comes to bring encouragement for discouragement. He comes to bring strength for strengthlessness. He comes to bring comfort for a lack of peace. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, despair does not have the final word in our lives. Amen? Because of the resurrection of Jesus, death doesn't get to have the final say. Because one day, Jesus is going to bring your body and my body up out of a grave, just like Jesus did. Billy Graham said, and we saw Billy in a video earlier today, but Billy Graham said, one day you're going to hear that Billy Graham is dead. And Billy did pass not that long ago. But he said, one day you're going to hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe it? I'll be more alive than ever. ever. I'll just have changed addresses. He's right. So because of the resurrection of Jesus, not even death has the final say. And so... Addiction doesn't, and guilt doesn't, and pain doesn't, and despair doesn't, and death certainly does not because of the resurrection of Jesus. And I, I know that when you place your faith in that, you'll respond the way that the women responded. You'll respond with this sense of awe 
of, in Jesus and this sense of joy in what Christ has done for you. Some of you are like that today. You are thankful and you are grateful or you are on the very verge of accepting Jesus into your heart and your life and you are excited about what he has for you. That's some of you in the room today. There are others in the room who are maybe like the priests. The priests are represented in panel number three. These guys got angry and they closed their eyes to the evidence all around them. (coughs) Matthew says that while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the guards a large sum of money telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were asleep. They bribed the guards to lie because they didn't want the resurrection to be true. The priests were ticked off at everything Jesus had done and all that he had accomplished. They were angry at him. And instead of producing a body, because they couldn't produce a body, they'll say, we'll just tell everybody that his disciples stole him. These represent people who know Jesus probably is, who he says he is, but they don't want to press into that because, frankly, they're angry about the the implications. There could be some chief priests here today. Because if Jesus raised from the dead, then he's Lord. And that means that you can't do whatever you want to do. If Jesus is Lord, that means you can't excuse or entertain your very favorite sin any longer. If he's Lord, that means you can't do with your time whatever you want to. If Jesus raised from the dead and he's Lord, that means you can't utilize your, t- your resources or your giftings or your talents however you please. That means every single breath you have belongs to him if he's Lord. And a lot of people really don't want to hear that, so they turn their backs on the evidence so they can retain lordship over their own lives. That's what the angry priest did. If Jesus really rose from the dead, it means that you need to be saved by him. That's all of our stories here. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We all need grace. And we all need to be saved by the power of Jesus And if that's true, we need to be saved as much as the worst criminal on the planet needs to be saved. Some of us here are like the priests. And maybe deep down you suspect that this whole Jesus thing is probably true. But if you're honest, you don't like the implications if it's true. Because then you'd have to follow him. The other group is the soldiers. The soldiers are represented in panel number one. The soldiers responded to the resurrection with fear. Matthew says that for fear of the angel, the soldiers trembled and became like dead men. So they took the money and did as they were directed. The soldiers had a front row seat to the story of Jesus almost from beginning to end of his ministry. They saw all of it, but they took the bribe money that the priests had offered to them and they kept their mouths shut. They represent people who... Because of fear and self-preservation, they pay more attention to earthly things than to heavenly things. And we very often, too often, give weighty attention to passing matters. And we give passing attention to weighty matters, but the resurrection of Jesus is not a passing matter, friends. 
The resurrection of Jesus is the matter of first importance. It's the most momentous thing that has ever happened in the annals of history, and yet we give that a casual glance. But nothing matters more because Jesus is the pathway to hope, and he's the pathway to peace, and he's the pathway to fulfillment. He's the pathway to life. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then for sure he can give you hope for the thing that has you locked in fear today. If Jesus resurrected from the dead, he can give you hope for the thing that troubles you most. If Jesus resurrected from the dead, he can resurrect a dead marriage. If he resurrected from the dead, he can resurrect a dead body or a body that is racked in pain or with disease. If he resurrected from the dead, he can give you peace for any worry or any anxiety because he's already overcome all of that. Are we like the soldiers who responded out of a little bit of fear? They paid more attention to earthly things than to heavenly things. And then there are the disciples. They're represented by the fourth panel. After the resurrection, it says that the disciples went to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. The disciples doubted, but they still worshiped. Even after everything they'd seen, they'd seen the miracles, they'd seen the teachings, they'd seen the healings, they'd seen the life change all around them. Some of the disciples still struggled with unanswered questions. And after his resurrection, Jesus appears to them alive with nail holes in his hands and his feet. I mean, at that point, how could you still not believe? Despite the miracles and the reality standing Right in front of their eyes, they still focused on their questions. Jesus, why haven't you saved us from the Romans? Why is there still persecution? Why, is, why haven't you fixed everything yet? Why, why are people still suffering? And honestly, that's comforting to me because I still have questions. Yeah, this pastor still struggles at times. But I'll tell you this, my questions have led me toward Jesus and not away from Jesus. They've led me toward him because, listen, this is where the unexplainable meets the undeniable. Jesus rose from the dead. And if there are a few questions that this man can't quite wrap his brain around because he's limited and he's finite, and he's human, I'm going to trust those questions, the unanswered questions, to God. Because God is unlimited, and God is, is, is infinite, and God is eternal, and he's divine, he's God. I don't understand everything about science, but I still believe in science. I don't understand everything about how planes get up in the air, but I still get on one to travel. And I'll admit that there are moments I'm up in the plane at 30,000 feet and I go have a moment of panic. I go, how is this happening? (laughs) But I still get on one. Few things are so airtight that we don't need some faith to believe them. Even atheism 
requires some faith. I believe Jesus rose from the dead. But that means I might have to make peace with a few unanswered questions because I don't have the full perspective. Faith is not a leap into the dark. Faith is when what you cannot explain meets what you cannot deny. Jesus is risen. The disciples had doubts but they ended up worshiping through their doubts anyway. And maybe that's some of you here that you're not really sure. You just have some doubts. Maybe that describes you today. Maybe that's who you are. The gospel ends of Matthew ends this way. It's Jesus speaking. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, <clears throat> baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's you and me he's talking about. And that's the last group, us. Because you're the reason that he came. You're the reason. The New Testament says that the Lord is patient with us. It says he's long-suffering to us, not willing that any person should perish, but that everybody would come to repentance. That's us. John 3 says that God loved the world so much that he gave his own son, that whoever, that's us. People sometimes say that Christianity is exclusive. I beg to differ. Christianity is the most inclusive religion in all the world. Because Jesus says, whoever. <laughs> it's just everybody. It's anybody. It's whoever will believe on my name would not perish but have eternal life. And if that's all true, then that's some pretty great good news. And I, it's so incredible and it's so life-changing that I can possibly keep it to myself. I have to tell you, let's just imagine that you discovered the cure for cancer. And the drug company a drug company came along and said to you, hey, we, we don't want the cure for cancer to get out. Because if the cure for cancer gets out, people won't buy our drug medicine anymore. So they say, we're going to pay you $50 million to keep your mouth shut about this. Anybody here going to take that deal? How few would say no to that? Because the importance of that message, of that life-saving truth, has to get out. The gospel message that we have, it's a hundred billion times more important. Because this message is forever. This message is eternal. It affects your forever. And maybe the biggest proof of all, that Jesus is risen from the dead is just the life change that we see all around us because of Jesus. That's the real evidence. There aren't any perfect people in this room. There are just people who have accepted Jesus into their life by grace through faith 
and now are just working it out every day. That's the real evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. And if we could, at all of our campuses, in this moment, I'll ask you to raise your hand in just a minute to say, how many of you would say, that's me? I have asked Christ into my life, and as a result of it, he has changed me from what I was to what I am. I'm not perfect. I'm just walking toward Jesus. But the fact is, is that Jesus has changed my life forever. If that's you, would you raise your hand and let us see that? So good. So great. That's the real evidence of the resurrection. We aren't here to pressure anybody today. We want, we want you to know the truth about Jesus and about the resurrection. We would love for you to believe it the way that we believe it. So we're just putting it in your lap today to give you an opportunity to hear it and consider it and to decide for yourself. And I, I, don't, I don't know if you are more like the soldiers and, or the women or the disciples or the chief priests. I, I don't know if there's fear in your heart about accepting Christ or... I don't know if you're just actually really excited, let's get on with it, PK, and let me raise my hand and do that. Or I don't know if, if there are some doubts because I, I, I need to fully have all my questions answered. I don't, I don't know if you're just upset with other Christians and that's kind of spoiled you on the whole thing. I don't know which of those you might be about, but the gospel is that Jesus loves you. He came to earth, from heaven to earth in pursuit of you. He committed no crimes, and yet he was brutally tortured on a cross, gave his life as a sacrifice for you because he loved you. He did it in your place. He did it as your substitute, and then he was buried in a tomb and left and died, but then he rose in power and glory on the third day. But you have to choose him for yourself. But he'll come into your life if you just lean into him with your faith. And we want you to have the chance to do that today. Because Jesus is risen. Romans tells us how. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he'll come into your life and he'll begin this powerful and beautiful process of change. He'll ask you to do a 180 in several areas of life and start walking his way rather than your way. And you might look around you and say, yeah, but they're not. And they, 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 they don't really. And, but they said they give their lives to. We're all walking toward Jesus. We're all recipients of the great grace of Jesus Christ by faith in him and you will become part of the wonderful family of God and you will have an eternity in heaven with him forever. It's simply by you leaning into him with your faith, confessing with your mouth that you believe in him and that you believe that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says that you will be saved. So I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that today. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. I can't really add any more than what I've already said. 
the gospel is that Jesus loves you. That he came from heaven to earth for you. That he died on a brutal cross in your place as your substitute. And if you will just confess with your mouth that he is Lord, and if we just believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says that you will be saved. And what you get when you come to Jesus is Jesus. You don't get rich. You don't have every problem answered. You don't get perfection. You don't get any of that. What you get is Jesus. And with Jesus comes strength for your weakness and peace for your trouble and joy for your sorrow and love for your enemies and so much more. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you if you want to say yes to Jesus today. That's what you're, that's what we're after. If you want to say yes to Jesus, if you will say, I want, I want to do a, a 180 in some of my behaviors and attitudes, and I want to walk a different direction. But the only way I can do that really is by saying yes to you, Lord. I'm going to ask you in just a moment, on the count of three, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and say, I, that's me. I want to say yes to Jesus today on the count of three. One. You're just going to say yes to Jesus. Let him come into your life today. Two, don't worry about what the person sitting next to you is going to do, what they're going to think. If the person brought you is sitting next to you, it will be the best day of their life to see you raise your hand. Ready? Three, would you lift your hands to say, I want to say yes to Jesus, yes, everywhere, everywhere in the balcony. I want to say yes to Jesus. Would you raise them? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm going to ask every single person in the house to pray this prayer after me. I try to make this point almost every time because it just seems important. There is no magical prayer. There's not a formulaic prayer that you pray. It's just from your heart. But I'm just going to facilitate that for us today. And i like every single person in the house with some strength and some passion Would you say this prayer with me? Everybody ready? (coughs) Out loud. Here we go. Lord Jesus, thank you for raising on the third day. I believe that you did that. So I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And I lean into that with all of my faith. And I ask you into my heart. I commit God to doing a 180. I commit to repenting of my sins. Help me to do a 180 in my life. A 180 in my mind. A 180 in my heart. A 180 in my behaviors. A 180 in my attitudes. A 180 in my hands. A 180 where my feet go. And God, then you would help me to walk toward you every day for the rest of my life, not perfectly, but just toward you every day. So I thank you for coming into my heart, 
by faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. For more info about Journey Church, please visit jrnychurch.com.